This is Dana Thomas, and you're listening to The Green Dream, a podcast about how to green up your life. Climate change is bearing down on us like a mighty hurricane, and it's scary as hell, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dana Thomas, a leading voice in the sustainable fashion movement. On The Green Dream, I welcome global experts, creators, and change makers from politics, business, and the arts for dynamic conversations on how you can green up your life. The Green Dream is the podcast of hope. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and its select stores. Sutton Strack is one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills, and if you follow the show, or are a regular reader of page six of the New York Post, you'll know that it isn't always a bed of roses. Sutton also has the Sutton Concept, a boutique in West Hollywood and online where she sells eco-responsible fashion and homewares. I first met Sutton years ago in Paris when she was in town for the Haute Couture shows. Sutton is one of the 200 women in the world who is a regular couture client. She attends the shows each January and July, chooses what she wants to buy, and has it made to order. These are very expensive clothes, beginning in the low five figures and rising rapidly because they are all handmade and they are made to fit the client. They are constructed of the finest fabrics, usually natural fibers. They last forever and she rewears each piece often, which is the very definition of sustainable fashion. Love your clothes, cherish them, respect them. Sutton grew up in Augusta, Georgia, a debutante with dreams of becoming a modern dance choreographer. She made her way to New York to study modern dance and found herself soon working for the dance legend, Merce Cunningham. She'll tell us about that, as well as the Real Housewives, the Sutton concept, why sustainability is important to her, and most surprisingly, how her family and mine have a Texas history together. Also on The Green Dream today is Time Magazine film critic, Stephanie Saharic, who will tell us about environment and humanitarian-themed films she saw at the Cannes Film Festival. But first, Sutton Strack on how to be sustainably chic. Sutton Strack, welcome to The Green Dream. Let's start by talking about your West Hollywood boutique and brand, The Sutton Concept. What is The Sutton Concept and how did it come about? When I moved to LA in 2008, I always kind of dreamt of having a store. So finally, I got divorced and got the nerve up to open my store. I'd had the space in West Hollywood for years. We named it Sutton, which took me a lot of prodding to do. I said, I will name it Sutton only because I'm going to find my father's handwriting. Is your father's name Sutton? No, but he named me. And I just could remember how he would write my name in my lunchbox or my clothes or whatever. And he was an architect. I found Sutton in one of his travel journals. That's where we got the logo. And now we've actually taken the whole alphabet. So I have all of the font. We did the whole thing. And it's amazing. It's a Sutton concept only because we couldn't get Sutton.com. Right. Somebody owned it. What is the concept? So everything in the store is for sale. So when you walk in the store, it's meant to seem like an apartment or a house. It's clothing. It's art. It's furniture. It's things that I've collected from my travels. I love stamped English silver, Mm. little things like that. And it's all for sale. 
So that's why it's a concept store. Everything is for sale in there. You opened right before the COVID-19 pandemic. How did you weather through the lockdowns in that quiet time? I didn't let anybody go. I made that choice. I didn't take any government funding. There was a moment where they were giving small businesses funding. I didn't take it. Let's let the state keep that or other people are more in need than I. What we did was we had to shut our doors and we worked on our website. We just did internal work for the store. We met daily through Zoom. So in fact, it was almost like having a soft opening and then recalibrating. Yeah. I mean, we had to figure out what we were doing because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) No clue. Do you know? Do you think? No. Okay. I'm still making it up. I'm 51 years old. So I was in my late 40s and kind of reinventing myself Mm -hmm. and inventing this store and this concept. So it's been fun. And it's been fun with my staff and how we work together and building that. I wanted it to be an organic experience. had no idea how organic it was actually going to become. (laughs) And you support local creators like jeweler Amber Sakai and the designer August Getty and people from around the Southern California or Los Angeles area, which is more eco-friendly than going global and having things shipped from all over the world. I do. Everybody, all of the designers that I have in the store, I know. Mm, That's nice. Personally, because I like their stories. And I think it's easier when you know the stories and then you can tell the stories to clients. Mm-hmm. I do carry Alexi Mobile, who's in Paris. Right. But he's a good friend of mine. And that's the one that we do ship over. Mm-hmm. Most everybody else, you know, we've got Superwoman in there and it's leather and it's also denim. Amber Sakai has been a great friend of mine. She's in LA. It's very difficult to find local. Right. And to be local. I think it's better for the environment, one, but also I think it's really important to support your local commerce. It's good for the community. Mm-hmm. And you've recently added a sustainability component to the brand, to the Sutton concept. Can you tell us about this new adventure and how it's going? So I didn't think it was enough to own a store. I thought, well, let's start another business. <laughs> so my business partner and I have a sustainable company, and the word sustainable has been thrown around a lot. And maybe misused. So it's Sutton Brands. Yes, it has. My partner's company, he does Mm -hmm. recyclables and returnables. From department stores and retailers and everything. People don't understand this. You order something online. Things that you order online and you're like, nah, it's not working for me. And you send it And people will order three sizes so that they can try it on. Just like you would try on something in a fitting room. But they have it mailed to themselves. And then they send Mm -hmm. it back. What they don't understand... It's not going back to the ones that don't fit. The designer. It's going probably most likely to my partner's business, which is in Houston. Seventy percent does not go back. So he keeps seventy percent. Interesting. Now it's either going to go into the landfill or we are relabeling it, mm-hmm. selling it again. Right. Under a different name, which is completely legal and everybody knows. It. Also making that designer sustainable in and of themselves. Right. Which is so cool because it's circular. It is absolutely circular. Truly circular. And I love to be a part of this and I love to be a pioneer in this. The waste stream in the fashion industry is enormous, enormous, enormous. It's huge. And I did not know this until I started speaking with my business partner. And I've been on the council for Oceana for a long time. And ocean waste 
I got behind because we all know plastic goes into the ocean. There's so much stuff that's floating around in our oceans. I had no idea that brand new clothes are being just chunked onto our earth. Yeah. So instead, what we're doing is taking all of that, relabeling it and reselling it. It's fun. It's different. People are going to have to get their heads around it because they hear relabel or it's brand new. It's brand new. Brand new. It just needs to be relabeled and reimagined. Reimagined and and repositioned, exactly. Mm -hmm. And brought back into the retail stream. That's right. But otherwise, it's going to sit on our earth. Or get burned. Or some people burn it, Mm -hmm. which is terrible for our environment. So I'm happy to be, actually, I'm proud to be a part of this movement. And you started with bedding, right? Right. Well, when I went to see where all of the returns are going in Houston, you can't imagine. So if you can think of pillows and comforters and sheets, Mm -hmm. they're all brand new. And they're perfectly fine. They're still even wrapped, right? They're wrapped. Mm -hmm. And where are they going to go? In a landfill? Right. That's where we're going to send them. So instead, we're relabeling them. And we're going to sell them and make them fun to buy. You're doing bedding. And from there, what will you get into fashion? We're about to go into Pride Month. And I wanted to add some men's clothing. So I've got some really great men's t-shirts that we've green labeled. And your store is right around the corner from the Abbey, which is the Pride Central during Pride parades and everything. You know, look, I have been involved with the LGBTQIA community since I was probably 11 years old. Because? I was a dancer and, you know, we get to know each other really well. I Mm -hmm. had and have a lot of gay friends. And, you know, my cousin is a lesbian and growing up in the South as a lesbian was tough on her. So I've always been supportive. So this month we're adding the t-shirts. We've got these really cool shirts that we're working on and we've cut the bottoms of them so they're not tapered but they're square and we're adding patches. We're making a Sutton patch and then we've got vintage patches that we're putting all over them. And we're only going to do like a limited edition for Pride Month. And then in October, when we go to BravoCon, we're going to have a lot more, Mm -hmm. but they're so cool and everybody's going to want one. And they're going to be more expensive just because a lot of work is going into these patches. And so the shirt is being relabeled with my green label. And then all of the patches are vintage that we're putting on them. And it's truly a sustainable shirt. So we're going to have those for June. My bedding, I probably won't start that until November. I'm doing pillows and then sheet sets. And they're so pretty, super fine quality. And the price is lower Excellent. than you would buy. Because you're picking these up. These are returns and things that were unsold. So you're- They're returns. So the markup is not the original crazy markup that was- No. Mm-mm. And you're keeping them out of landfill and you're keeping them in circulation. Yeah. Because that's truly sustainable. Now, how else is your company green? I have teas that are 90% cotton and 10% recycled cashmere. Mm. We make them in LA. My pajamas- we make in LA. My cashmere, I get from an eco-friendly farm in Italy, the yarn. We ship it. I mean, you can't do it all. You keep your footprint as low as possible. Bring it to LA. We make the cashmere in LA in factories. People have been outsourcing in fashion for so long from America out. And we have all of these factories that are empty. I would like to see designers bring it back in and make it in America. If you're an American designer, 
make it in America because we have so many factories that are not being used. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and at select stores. If you're enjoying this episode, check out my interview with Natalie Channon, founder of Alabama Channon, a slow fashion company in Florence, Alabama that champions localization, craftsmanship, and treating workers with respect. Find it and all Green Dream episodes wherever you get your podcasts or on my new Substack page on substack.com. Home for the Green Dream newsletters, zippy daily posts, and for a small subscription, a plethora of fab bonus material. Now back to our interview with Sutton Strack, a real housewife of Beverly Hills and founder of The Sutton Concept, a sustainably-minded fashion and lifestyle boutique in West Hollywood and online at thesuttonconcept.com. How is the sustainability conversation going in West Hollywood, in Beverly Hills? Do you see a shift in the culture? Are people more green? Are they coming to your boutique and the Sutton Concept and asking for the green label? Or are they asking, what do you have here that is slow fashion or sustainable? Is it becoming a bigger part of the culture? I talk a lot about slow fashion. And I see this generation, my daughter's 21, pulling them out of fast fashion is a difficult task. It is. You know, I tried not to raise my daughter like that. But that generation, they love fast fashion. They do because they can afford it because it's young and fun. It's easy to wear. And those stores are everywhere. They're everywhere. But here's the thing. You buy a piece of my cashmere, yes, it's expensive. But it's going to last you forever. Mm -hmm. It's well made. It's not your grandmother's cashmere. (laughs) And it's made in Los Angeles. And just try it. Buy one piece of cashmere instead of one polyester sweater every six months. Exactly. That's what I said. Just spend your money wisely. Buy less, buy better. That's right. Buy less, buy better. It's just, it's so simple in concept. This brings me to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. How did you become a cast member? You know, I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was asked several times. And it took me, well, again, my divorce kind of propelled me to be able to make my own decisions. So I finally could make the decision, I'm going to do this. And it's very scary and daunting. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I've never been on TV. So I thought, all right, I'll do this. And what have you learned about yourself and about human relations through this program and this experience? I've had the best time on this show. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm a ballet dancer. Right. I'd say. Where you get tortured daily. Yeah. So there's a part of me that's a bit of a masochist. And so I kind of enjoy being tortured. But you can also put up with it. I can put up with it on a daily basis and do. (laughs) But I have learned so much about myself. One, I've been around a group of women who are all entrepreneurs. Interesting. You know, four years ago when I started, Mm -hmm. they really inspired me to be better at becoming a businesswoman. Then they also broke me down a little bit. I was like a calf. Right. I had to get broke. And they (laughs) did a good job of it. But I got stronger and stronger and stronger each year. And now I feel very confident, more confident than I've ever been in my life. And I would not be this confident if I had not done this show. It's fantastic. It's so great. And the self-reflection 
when you watch yourself on television and you see the mistakes that you're making that are honest mistakes and you learn from them, it's such a gift. And is sustainability part of the conversation at all there? Does it, or are you bringing it into the conversation? Are you talking about slow fashion and being buying less and buying better? And do you really need that? And how can we be a little bit more thoughtful towards the planet? Well, yes, I'm a big couture buyer. So I wear all of my own clothes. And, you know, some people like them, some people don't. (laughs) But it's my choice. And they tell you, I'm sure. Oh, I get lots of it. But I don't care. I also like the idea of letting people know to wear what you love and don't take other people's perception or opinion bother you so much. Mm-hmm. Which is, this is it's, it's the confidence that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So I wear my couture and you know, my couture I wear over and over and over again. I'm not a one-time wearer. No. I mean, couture is made to measure. It's supposed to last forever. It is timeless and beautiful. So yes, that's the whole point of couture. It is actually the the greenest part of the fashion pyramid because it is made to be reworn and reworn and reworn. People forget about that. This year has been really fun for me because it's been good to me because I've gotten to talk about sustainability. I've gotten to talk about my green line and really celebrate what I'm doing. That's excellent. So reaching a really wide, yeah. broad, broad audience, a much more democratic audience as well, a very democratic audience. I mean, I hope so. I hope people listen. I hope they get it and understand. But when you have that kind of platform, you want to use it for good, or I do. Now, let's talk about our upbringing. We recently discovered that your family and my I family- I just told my brother this this morning. Go ahead. I'm from the same small West Texas town Rock of Rock Springs. Texas. Springs. And when I say small, this is a small town. This is right. 1,200 people on a good 1,200 right? people. Small town, 1,200 people, town square, very dry, very dusty, very it's simple. It's the hill country. And it's pretty, it turns out, as you, said, you said that about four families come from Rock Springs, and your father's family was one of them. And then you rattled off one that turned out to be my grandfather's family. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And so in the cemetery of Rock Springs, next to the Browns are the strike bonds. Yeah. And you're a strike bond. Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy talk right there. Exactly. So what did your brother say when you told his story today? He couldn't believe it. I told him this couldn't morning. believe it. Just like we couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And then I said, were you listening to my, was I the only one listening to my father when he would tell these stories? We would ride around the cemetery. And <laughs> see the Strackbine family gravestones. There they were. The Strackbine headstones are so beautiful. Mm. Right mean, next to the Browns. I, mean, I was just there. I know. It's nutty. It's nutty. But you grew up in Augusta. I did. I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. And you studied classical dance. I studied ballet, yes. Ballet, Mm -hmm. which took you to New York. I ended up in New York. I was a choreographer and wanted to be a choreographer. And I wanted to study Jose Limon technique. And what is the Jose Limon technique for those who don't know? So there's Jose Limon, Martha Graham, Merce Cunningham, the forefathers of modern dance. And Jose Limon was... One of my favorite choreographers. So I went and I was a nanny. I went to study Limon every day, took his class every day. And when the director said, come to our company tryouts, I didn't go. Mm-hmm. How come? I, I got nervous. So I didn't go. And instead, I started working for Merce Cunningham Fantastic. as the studio manager, which was great for me because I was in the studio and I took class every day. Sometimes I took two classes a day. So I started really learning Cunningham technique. I had already studied Graham technique and got to know Merce Cunningham really, really well. What was he like? Oh, Merce, so eccentric and so smart. 
one of the smartest men I've ever been around. And he was like a grandfather figure to me. Mm. They asked me to write a part of a grant for the school. And so I wrote, I don't know, like a page or two. And they said, no, 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 you need to come downstairs into the development team. So I left the studio. It was really difficult for me. And went downstairs and became the associate director of development, eventually director of development. Which meant what? What did you do? As I a- was a fundraiser. So I wrote all the grants, did the fundraising. And where was the studio? What part of He was on Bethune Street in the West Village. Fantastic. Bethune in Washington. The most beautiful studio. And now Martha Graham, their school is there. And when I heard that, I said, Merce is rolling around in his grave. Because he couldn't see, he couldn't stand Martha Graham. <laughs> he danced with her and he couldn't right. stand her. Now her company is in his studio. Why did you stop dance? I stopped dancing when I was like 33. All right. I think I just had babies. Right. Started having babies and that was my life. There's only so many hours in the day. They were my choreography. <laughs> and you're also known as a gracious hostess and for your fabulous dinner parties and was named one of the top 100 party hosts in America, which I think is really yeah. chic, by the Salonier alongside Oprah Winfrey. I know. And I think Michelle I was right Obama, in between them. saying something because, you know, that means the or White I House. Or I beat them. Basically. can't remember. I think you beat Michelle Obama, which means you beat the White House protocol mm-hmm. office. <laughs> Which is in social secretary, which is saying something. You've said that you learned this art of being a proper and gracious hostess by being mm-hmm. a Southern debutante because you came out mm-hmm. in Augusta where you grew up when you were 18. What did you learn as a debutante that you've been able to carry on? We as Southern women are just brought up to be natural hostesses. How to set the table. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You better How to set the table. learn where that napkin goes. Yes, ma'am. Place settings. And write your thank you notes. Write your thank you notes. My daughter just had her debut in November and she had, I don't know how many people gave this party for her. She's got a lot of thank you notes to write. That's it. Every morning. You know, Hillary Clinton, every morning as first lady, first thing she did in her office every morning was sit down and write thank you notes for everything she'd done the day before. Then she got to the tasks at hand for the next day. I thought, you know. Oh my gosh, I'm copying that. I'm going to start doing that. (laughs) It means a lot. You're making me feel guilty (laughs) because I don't write enough thank you notes. Now we just send texts. No, I I still actually get out the stationery. You sell stationery at the Sutton Concept, don't you? I sell stationery. It's beautiful. And place cards. Place cards are very important. And place cards. Beautiful place cards. I'm going to share the most insane hostess story I ever heard in my life. I was touring Hillwood in Washington, D.C., the home of Marjorie Merriweather Post. And we went into the butler's pantry and they had these card catalogs like you used to have in a library. Uh-huh. Guide said, you open the drawer, and every single person who ever dined at Hillwood had a card. They had the same going on at Mar-a-Lago, which was originally her Floridian home. Oh my gosh, I'm copying this too. And the house she had up in the Adirondacks. But she was the Washington hostess. So she had this card, and say you came to dinner at Hillwood. On this card for you would be the china that was used, the silver that was used, the crystal, the linens, the menu, and the other dinner guests. And none of it would ever be repeated every time you came to visit. Well, Lord mercy, how much time? Lord have mercy, right? (laughs) Well, that's what, you know, we were talking about, like, that requires a lot of staff and a lot of porcelain. Exactly. You got But it actually really does make you think about how to organize your table, your invitations. Oh, and the meal. You don't repeat the meal. I'm like obsessed with this all of a sudden. I'm obsessed. (laughs) Because, you know, we talk about being 
obsessed, right? Eco-friendly and being green and all of that. And I think one of the things that I really do try to push out there is, and I do sell this in my store, is vintage crystal. And I had tons of china. We sold it all. Use what you have. Use what you have. I use my grandmother's silver all the time. I Today, I used my mother's porcelain teacups for breakfast. Yes, for use it. Use I it. don't have stainless steel. I have silver, mm-hmm. everyday silver, and then I have fine silver. But my daughter, Porter, I've already started her china. Yep. As my grandmother, you say you've started her hope chest. I started her hope chest. Yes. But that's the way that you become green again. And this art of being ecological friendly. Can we please stop buying things that are poorly made? Because you can go and find China. Oh, my God. Yes. Absolutely. Down the street. Beautiful. Beautiful. For a fraction of. Don't go to the big stores. I don't want to name them. To get cheaply made things. Right. Go down the street and buy China. And it doesn't have to match. It doesn't have to matter. That's so chic. What's next? You said you might be making a movie soon. Yeah, so I wrote a script with my friend, Jeff Vesta, about four years ago. And it's taken us this long to get it. As it does. We did a table read, actually, a couple of weeks ago on camera with all of my housewife friends from Beverly Hills. Oh. And my producer friend, Cece, who's wonderful, Cece Clary, produced to Leslie. And we did that a couple of weeks ago. And... We're hoping to start filming in the next couple of months. Excellent. Yeah, and it's a rom-com, and it's got the two main characters is one gay man and then one straight woman. And they'll be wearing Sutton Concept Green Label Sustainable Clothes. They're going to be wearing my cashmere for life. you be wearing your cashmere. My cashmere for life. Well, thank you so much, Sutton Strack, for being on The Green Dream. We so look forward to seeing more. You're so cute, Dana. We look so forward to seeing you. More of your wild adventures on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And to follow your pro-climate expansion of the Sutton concept in West Hollywood and online. So thank you so much. And let's just stay green as much as possible. Stay green. It's the only way to go. Only way to go. Thank you, Dana. And now, Movies with Stephanie Saharic, the film critic for Time Magazine, who is just back from the Cannes Film Festival on the Riviera. Welcome back to The Green Dream, Stephanie. You saw a great slate of movies in Cannes this year, didn't you? I had a marvelous time this year. I saw all of the competition films, including the winner. I have to say that overall, the crop of competition films this year is really terrific. People have a lot to look forward to. And one of the movies you love was called Youth or Spring, which is a three and a half hour long documentary by Wang Bing about young garment workers in China. Tell us about that. Did it feel like three and a half hours or does it just sort of zip by? (laughs) Well, I have to say, yes, it did feel like three and a half hours. And I think he could have gotten the same effect with, let's say, two hours and 50 minutes. But I did really like the film. He takes a similar approach to that of Frederick Wiseman, where he just allows you to live with these people. He actually filmed this doc over a period of several years, following a few different groups of garment workers. And they don't work in the big sweatshops. 
They're just little groups of independent contractors. They bid for these jobs. And most of what they do is sewing for the domestic market, like a lot of kids' clothes and stuff like that. You see them negotiating for these jobs, which is fascinating, figuring out how many pieces they need to make and how much money they can make per piece. And then you see them also in their off hours where, you know, it's young people and they're kind of flirting with each other or they've been involved and they're breaking up. I actually really, really loved just watching them sew. My God, I mean, they Mm. move that fabric so fast through these sergers. You know, you're looking at it and you're like, oh my God, like they could lose a finger because those little cutter things on the side are so sharp. One of the reasons I really like this film, I mean, obviously, Dana, almost anyone who would be listening to this podcast knows that human beings make our clothes. Like they're not made by robots. There are people who have to run the machines. Most of them and aren't, no. Most of them aren't. I mean, if you have like 3D, you know, knitting process or something like that, that's different. These are people who are actually manipulating the fabric to watch them at work. And also at one point, there's one guy who says, no, I don't want to take this job because I don't want to make, you know, like 500 pairs of pants or whatever out of this fabric because it's awful to work with. It's rough. I don't want to do it. I mean, these are things that you never think about when you're shopping or buying a garment. Even what is it like for a person to sew with that fabric? So I loved it. I will say it's the kind of movie you would not want to watch it at home because I think a lot of people would just be tempted to fast forward through the sewing stuff. They'd be like, oh, my God, it's just people sewing. But to me, that was the best part. I loved it. I love that. And then you saw a movie by the wonderful Tran An Hung, a Vietnamese filmmaker who I wrote about for the Washington Post early in his career, 30 years ago when he made two beautiful movies called Son of the Green Papaya and Cyclo. And he has a new movie out called Pot au Feu, which is with Juliette Binoche, and Pot au Feu is basically the French version of beef stew. And Tran An Hung won the Best Director Award, which I think is just thrilling. So tell us about Pot au Feu. Yes, I too am very happy that he won that award. This is just a really lovely film. And I've been saying to people, this is the sort of film, if it came out in the 1980s, it would play at your local art house for six months straight. Like everyone would go to see this film. You could send your mom to see it. There's nothing too controversial. It's just really, really beautifully made. Basically, it's set in the late 19th century in France, in the countryside. Benoit Majumel plays this gourmet who has this cook, played by Juliette Binoche, who has worked for him for 20 years. They both just really love food. And even though she works for him, they actually cook together. And the opening sequence is at least 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, of them in the kitchen, this big, you know, kitchen in a country house, just making this elaborate meal. And they have two helpers, But basically, it's like a ballet, the way it's orchestrated. And it's one of those movies like you don't want to see it on an empty stomach because it can make you really hungry and the food looks great and they look great. And it turns out that even though she has been working for him for 20 years, they're also having a romance. So 
there's kind of that element, but she wants to hang on to her independence. I think it's just a wonderful film. And my understanding is that the French critics didn't really like it so much. I think they just saw it as, oh, but it's like eye rolling, conventional or whatever. The American critics, the English critics, critics from other parts of Europe and the world were like, oh my God, this is great. Give us more. I was just really, really taken with it. And I can't wait for people to see it. And Vim Vendors was back on the Con Quasette. He's a veteran of Con, and he hasn't been there in a while, but he brought back what I hear is a really terrific movie. What was that? It's called Perfect Days. It's basically about one guy played by an actor named Koji Yahusho. He won the Best Actor Prize at Cannes, which I was very happy about because it's a beautiful performance. He basically plays a toilet cleaner in Tokyo. He's very good at what he does. He's kind of like worked it out almost as an art form. And he does this in public restrooms? Public toilets, yes. In Paris, we call those Madame Pipi. Oh my God, oh, that's <laughs> that's perfect. Well, that's what he is, the Tokyo version. He's the Monsieur Pipi of Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, he puts on this like blue boiler suit and it says, you know, Tokyo toilets on the back or whatever. And like, that's his uniform and he just does his thing. He still listens to cassette tapes on his way to work. He's, his favorite is like Patti Smith's horses. But he lives very simply. He mm. loves reading in his downtime and he goes to little restaurants, little local restaurants where people know him. And it's just this incredible movie. Like to describe it sounds a little sentimental, but of course the way Vim Vendor handles it it's just really lovely and intimate and basically you're seeing this guy he's just getting the best out of his life at one point you learn I won't give away exactly what it is but you learn something about his family background it kind of surprises you a little and it's like okay everything that he does is a choice the movie ends with this lingering shot on this character's face that just kind of passes through this multiple like shifts of emotion. It's really lovely. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming back on The Green Dream and talking movies with us. It's been a joy to hear about all the great things that happen on the Con Quasette, movies that we'll be seeing in the coming months because they get their premieres there and then they're rolled out over the summer and the fall. And we look forward to seeing them all. Thank you so much for telling us about them and we hope you'll be back soon. I would love to come back anytime and uh, thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning into The Green Dream. To read more hopeful climate stories, sign up for The Green Dream newsletter on our website, thegreendream.studio, and check out my new Substack page on substack.com. There you'll find all of my Green Dream newsletters and podcasts, zippy daily posts, and for a small subscription, a plethora of fab bonus material. I'll be back in two weeks with Camille Charrière, one of fashion's leading eco-minded influencers, and the sustainability editor for British Elle magazine. We'll talk about how it is possible to be fashionable and sustainable at the same time. Do tune in. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency, from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, and its select stores. The Green Dream was written by Dana Thomas. From Talkbox Productions with executive producer Tavia Gilbert and Mix and Master by Kayla Elrod. Music performed by Eric Brace of Red Beat Records in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Dana Thomas, the European Sustainability Editor for British Vogue. 
You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, where my handle for both is at Dana Thomas Paris. And you can sign up for the Green Dream newsletter at our website, thegreendream.studio. Thank you for listening.